everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tales from a Vet Tech with me, Tabitha Kusera. Today, we celebrate Veterinary Technician Week with the amazing RVT and VTS in oncology, Jenny Fisher. Jen sheds light on the crucial role vet techs play within clinics and hospitals, discusses the impact of underutilization on both professionals and the industry, shares insights from the awesome 2023 AHA Technician Utilization Guidelines, and more. Jen, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Wonderful. Drinking my third coffee of the day. Um, there's no judgment here at Tales from a Vet Tech. So <laughs> that's why I belong. Yes, right. So Vet Tech Week is coming up, and of course, we celebrate, and you should as well, veterinary technicians all year long. But Jen and I are going to talk all about veterinary technician utilization, what a vet tech does, because I know a lot of vet techs out there are aware of what we do, but I think sometimes caregivers and even animal welfare professionals may not be familiar with the role of veterinary technicians, which is also part of the problem to why we're not utilized in many cases, which is a whole nother problem, which we'll get into. So to start, Jen, I was thinking... Could you briefly describe what a veterinary technician does and their role within a veterinary clinic or hospital? Or again, we're both badass registered veterinary technicians and VTSs and don't work in general practice. <laughs> so there's so many opportunities, but we'll start with that. Yeah, no, honestly, thank you for having me. And this is a topic that I am so glad that we are starting here because I think it's so important for pet parents, caregivers to know this stuff, right? You need to know who is taking care of your baby um, or your, you know, your pet inside of, of these facilities and these hospitals. So when we talk about the credentialed staff members inside of a veterinary practice, we talk about the veterinarian, right? Graduated with an undergraduate degree, went to a graduate school passed a national exam, the next credential career we have are veterinary technicians. And, you know, a lot of times we hear that that term inside of practices, and it might be used interchangeably between multiple types of staff members. But when we're looking at it from a legal and what we call a practice act or the state practice act, and this is what defines what each person inside of that practice can do, that career that they see are credentialed veterinary technicians. And that is a person who has attended a two or four year um, uh, credentialed program, accredited program, AVMA accredited program, uh, passed that program and then taken and passed the national exam. So those, the veterinarian and credentialed veterinary technicians have both gone through a schooling education process and then passed um, a national exam. Then we have our veterinary assistants who are, absolutely vital um, to the well-being and the well-running of our, our our practices. And these people, they have a really wide range of skills and superb skills and knowledge. But these are officially people that haven't gone to an education program and then passed that, that national exam. So three different people that we see a lot inside of the veterinary hospital, uh, different levels of education, two of those having a national licensing procedure um, and exam that they take. And 
again, we can go on and on about this and definitely check out career opportunities for vet techs and all my other lovely episodes. But when it comes to, we're going to get more into this with some of the other things we'll be talking about, but when it comes to a veterinary technician's role within a veterinary clinic or hospital, and it's hard to just briefly describe that because we do so much. Uh, could you just briefly describe what that routinely would look like? Right. And sometimes I think instead of describing what we can do, it's more looking at what we can't do. Oh, um, right. And again, right, this varies sometimes between state practice and act. But typically, in the majority of states, there are four things that veterinary technicians, credentialed veterinary technicians can't do. And that's uh, prescribe medication, diagnose a condition perform surgery, or establish a prognosis. So if it's not one of those four things, that is all of the other things that a credential veterinary technician should be doing, right? So facts, love that description. It's not just what we can do, but it's let's just look at the four things. It's much simpler to look at the four things we can't do. Um, everything else um, is, is, is fair game. Love it. And again, we talk about this a lot in this podcast and it comes up a lot, but it's a very big problem in our field and the way we, some, some are essentially creating, I don't want to say fake programs, but um, however we'd like to word that to say there aren't enough registered veterinary technicians. So we're going to demean veterinary technicians and have you do an eight hour course and say you are a veterinary. There's a lot of really insulting, really shameful, horrible stuff happening from a veterinary technician standpoint. And surprisingly, the more education we get and the more resources that are provided to show how utilizing credential veterinary technicians is helpful, the more somehow I am seeing more of these not taking veterinary technicians seriously, demeaning us, mislabeling us. Like there, It's a really big problem. So can you explain why it's crucial, not why you should, uh, why you need to utilize credentialed veterinary technicians to their full potential within a veterinary practice? Well, I mean, I, I think it, it, there's so many layers to that, right? How right. does it benefit the practice overall? We can see things like increased revenue, right? One of the things in these AHA technician utilization guidelines that's fantastic, by the way, is they actually talk about the, um, the income that a credentialed technician can um, add to a practice. And I thought this number in the past, which is a hundred to $140,000 per year. I thought that was per technician. That's per technician per veterinarian. So if that technician supports five veterinarians within that practice, that income is then multiplied times five. And that was not something I understood previously. And so reading through these guidelines, I, you know, I'm like, oh, I mean, that is huge, right? So if you're approaching what does this, what does this benefit from the practice owner um, standpoint? I mean, that alone is huge. We also talk about career longevity. We also, you know, there's a 2016 study that looks at um, longevity, which is also in this AHA um, utilization thing, which is, again, amazing. Uh, and that was that people were leaving at, what, five to 10 years? Well, yeah. there was a new study they looked at in 2020 or 2022, I believe. I'd have to look back to get the exact year. Um, but that that that, that uh, career expectancy is now around 14 and a half years. So 
right? And that gives me so much hope <laughs> that that we're starting to see that people are starting to kind of figure this out. And so now when things like this utilization guidelines comes out from AHA, it's very exciting because maybe maybe they're getting it, right? Maybe- it has been a, an like, again, there's there's a lot of struggles and a lot of things that Again, unfortunately, I feel like we all struggle with and see, although we're getting more and more evidence, not just based on our experiences, but research that not supporting technicians is problematic. But these 2023 AHA technician utilization guidelines that just came out, I only have had a chance to briefly review them. And I'm so fucking excited Hmm. because, again, I'm all about giving people tools and resources to, again, not just understand why technicians are great, but how to, right? Not just do this, but we need to know the how to and the why. So when it comes, which I highly recommend everyone, whether you are a caregiver, you work in animal welfare, you're a veterinarian, recognize, like check out these 2023 AHA technician utilization guidelines. There's literally a quick PDF that just briefly goes over it. I understand if you don't want to super nerd in, but as an ally to veterinary technicians, because all of you, I know you listeners care about us or you are one of us. So please check that out to help advocate for us. But I know it provides practical tools for improving utilization, but could you discuss briefly some of these tools and how they can be implemented effectively for all those amazing people who want to utilize veterinary technicians? Yeah, absolutely. So I had just briefly looked at it before yesterday. And then I really kind of dove into it. And it is fantastic. It literally goes through and guides a veterinary practice on how to evaluate how they utilize currently. And then it gives them the tools and objectives and even the the, the sheet to fill out for progress and evaluation. So it is literally a step-by-step guide on how to uh, work on utilizing veterinary technicians, credentialed veterinary technicians within the practice. I I am completely blown away, um, actually, at what they've been able to do. And from my from my president hat, right, from an right. academy standpoint, looking at something to have it as a guideline, this is exactly what we needed as a profession was to have something like this. So I am I'm blown away at what they were able to do. Yeah, because it could be a little overwhelming. We're all over threshold in some context, realistically. <laughs> Due to multiple factors, and although utilizing your technicians will actually cause you, whether you're a veterinarian or a veterinary assistant, the entire staff, it's going to provide a lot of relief and support. It can be really overwhelming to make changes, and I recognize that. So these guidelines are a great place to kind of take a step back. Hey, I'm going to look at this sheet. I'm going to fill it out. I'm going to talk about it with management. Then we're going to talk about it with the whole staff because the whole staff should be included in changes. That's another issue, which I see a lot. Um, So again, these, these aha, I have to give, I have to give or wait. Yeah. I have to give aha credit because I don't always. (laughs) Um, Right. No, I'm just going to be honest. Yeah. I, they came out, they showed up and I am, it, 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 like you said, it actually considering how, how many struggles we've been through the last few years as veterinary technicians, it's it's really inspiring and I feel very hopeful about the future. And I didn't realize that the because I knew the five year research, I didn't realize that the newer research, I'll have to check this paper out. Yeah. That 14 years. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. 
I mean, how exciting is that? That maybe everything we're all doing is working to create longevity. And in the end, who benefits from that? Our patients, right? And that is the whole goal of all of this is to touch our patients in a more positive way. And so hopefully all this hard work we're doing, uh, busting our, you know, but hopefully it's working. But again, that's really hopeful because I think all of us, sometimes it's hard to see we're planting those seeds. We're helping to provide resources and education, but sometimes it can kind of feel like you're going down a 100%. Yeah. Down a ladder and not up a ladder. So hearing that research is actually so encouraging because 20 years ago, vet techs weren't seen as a career. This is a career. You should be empowered and have opportunities for advancement, which both me and Jen could speak to that because Mm -hmm. we have advanced ourselves but also, thankfully, with the help of colleagues and others, yeah. and we're doing things that I'll be honest, my first year as a tech, I would never, which is also con- makes me a little sad, but I could never realize that I could be doing what I'm doing. How exciting. <laughs> like, seriously, like, how freaking exciting is that? And like, I, I like that to me is our career. That is veterinary technology. Like the possibilities that people can take this career, this degree, um, the opportunities that it can open there. It, it's, that's, what's so freaking exciting. Um, in my opinion, and that, like watching what you have been able to do. Uh, I mean, it's been, it's been amazing to witness and how lucky for the pets and the pet parents that they have you fighting for them. You're so every, see, we all love each other. The friends oh. I've made in this field and the support again, sometimes we can feel not supported, but the support is strong. And we have, I, I think as a whole made some really big changes. And on that note, I know you are the Academy president and I know I talked to Stephen about this recently, but you wrote this amazing letter regarding a certain organization's stance on some recent developments regarding how VTSs and others are utilized and their response. Could you just elaborate a little bit on that? What was your motivation? It's such a well-written letter. I I can't thank you enough. It's been such an amazing resource for veterinary technicians who are trying to advocate because, again, we create those to help each other. But could you just elaborate a little bit more on your motivation and how veterinary technicians can help, similar to what your academy did and that letter did? Thank you um, for that. I appreciate that. You know, I wish I could take sole credit for that letter, but I can't. Um, <laughs> it was absolutely a... Um, an academy effort. And I'm very proud to say that. I am proud to lead the Academy of Internal Medicine for Veterinary Technicians. It's a great group. Um, I'm very glad and proud that we were able to come up with something that really outlined the way we all feel, I think. Um, And it truly is from a place of our mission statement, which is to support veterinarians Um, in essence, that in turn uh, benefits and supports our patients. So in order to do that, we sometimes have to educate people on what they don't know. And I think dealing with with, um, the AVMA, I think it began to feel like they weren't educated. They didn't know what they didn't know kind of thing, Um, you know. And so we know that 
people the majority of the time have the best of intentions, but if they don't have the knowledge that they need to turn those intentions into real action or to real change, then it may look like they don't have the right intentions. So I think that the AVMA historically, and a lot of these other groups historically have looked at veterinary technicians in a whole and thought that they were doing what was needed, but they did not know what we needed to be successful. And I think that is what is different. I think now collectively between NAFTA, between um, now AHA, which is exciting. um, Certainly some of the academies, some of the state uh, technician associations and veterinary medical boards as well are looking at this, not just saying, Hey, you haven't done enough, but this is what we need in order to be successful. This is what we need in order to make um, this profession not something that we discuss as kind of an add-on or the adjunct part of yeah. veterinary medicine, but that that is a part of that. So I think that um, certainly has changed, and I think the letter was significant um, of that, of really hoping to have some type of working partnership. Um, and to educate our veterinarians on the things that they think they know, but they might not know. And that's the true capabilities of credentialed veterinary technicians and veterinary technician specialists as well. Yeah, because I think even as a veterinary technician myself, especially my first five years as a veterinary technician, I felt withheld and I wasn't, I wasn't aware of the opportunities for us. And I meet so many amazing veterinary technicians who, first off, aren't aware of how amazing they are. And then they feel there is no opportunity for advancement. And I understand there's a lot of contributing factors to that. And they leave the fields mm-hmm. or they don't feel supported at all, not just by the orgs, but just by the place they work. I mean, that's really where I think a lot of it starts. And mm-hmm. it's so discouraging And we're losing, instead of saying, we've kind of touched on this podcast about the myth of like with the pandemic, we kept seeing all these articles like vet techs are leaving and this is because of the pan. Everybody that those are taglines that we, this has been a problem for a very long time. We've identified the problem and it was really interesting because a positive that came from that is I did, I do think it brought some awareness whether it's to caregivers, just to people that may not be in our worlds, including some of the orgs that may have never asked a vet tech right? and maybe have just assumed things about yeah. our yeah. our, our um, fields, our positions. Yeah. So I love the fact that you, in that letter, you kind of laid it out, but also from an empathy standpoint, because I'm all about meeting people where they are. But as I commonly say, there are places, there's a boundary and we need to advocate for ourselves, whether that's our patients or ourselves in our job. And I think like you mentioned, I think with some of AVMA's responses, we had to be a little more abrupt than we have been in the past. But again, that letter was so beautiful. It was so well written and essentially saying to them, this is what technicians do. We need to start by helping you understand because I think you kind of hit it on the head they don't even understand what a tech is. They just think we're like this adjunct side random down the road. Oh, oh, or, oh, I'm, we all hear this. And as vet techs, we're all triggered by this. The camels. They wanted to be vets. <laughs> oh, that too. Oh, that too. But the camel. Yes, the camel. Oh, yeah. Sorry. 
Can you okay. elaborate on the camels? Because not everyone may understand that. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> and I, to, just to, to, just a very broad context. Yes. Um, uh, technicians have once been referred to as being like, um, uh, the camels to come in and, and take the tent, the camels that would come in out of the weather and push the master out of the tent. Uh, and that we wouldn't want the camels to overtake the master. Um, and, you know, which is just a, a negative mind frame oh, for sure. <laughs> about anything, I think, in general and in life. Um, but yeah, it certainly struck a, nord- uh, a nerve with many, many veterinary technicians. We are out here. We hear you. And we love yeah. the people that support us. But we also are going to be loud and advocate for mm. ourselves. And that's one thing that's been beautiful because I've seen so many amazing veterinary technicians, veterinary technician specialists really come out. Like when I lecture, I talk about VTSs because even though that role is not for everyone and I completely recognize that, I was not even aware what a VTS was until like four or five years as a technician. And that's because I sought out information on another level. And that was really upsetting and surprising to me that that wasn't even brought up in tech school. Like I I was like, how is this even us teaching each other? We aren't advocating for ourselves. The things, which is why I have episodes like this, because I think we need to make each other aware. And I think a lot of us aren't aware and we feel stuck, but kind of to segue, because you touched on this as far as it's a team effort. This isn't us against them. It's, you know, just us, essentially. Could you provide some insights into the relationship between optimal utilization and job satisfaction for vet techs and why it's crucial for retaining talent in this profession? Well, I think for anybody to feel valued, they want to be used at their at their highest skill level. And certainly for veterinary technicians and keeping them happy, if if they aren't allowed to do those skills that they've learned, right? And there's those four things that they can't legally do in the majority of states, but then they aren't allowed to do 50% of the other things that they can. Now they don't feel very important, right? Nobody should or is going to want to stay in a position where they don't feel valued. Um, and unfortunately, I think that is the the situation with so many of the veterinary practices and why people leave, right? So if we could just utilize them, make them feel much more important, then hopefully we can kind of reset that, that wheel um, and kind of break that cycle. But I think the problem comes down to fear. And this is where veterinarians really have to step it up for us. I think that so many veterinarians who, again, aren't aware of what we can do become fearful that the patient is going to suffer. And as someone who can see the responsibility of the patient of that management of the case weighing on them, I can understand where that fear can come from. But what we have to do as the veterinary technicians is remind them and to educate them on what we can do to have those conversations. So talking to your practice owner, talking to the veterinarian, showing them what you learned in school, right? Yes. Does that feel like, well, I shouldn't have to do, you probably shouldn't, but here we are. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, So, you know, make sure that you communicate that information um, to, to them as well. And I think that it also makes the other positions in the hospital feel more important. Right. Every single every single job should have a job description. Yes. With hard and soft descriptions of what they do. Right. It should not just be a 
broad, vague, you know, you do, you, you support the hospital. No, right? That needs to be more um, divided and you should have an absolute complete description of what each position in the hospital does and what they cover. I think that's a great point. I, excuse me, I do organizational consulting and I remember I went to a shelter recently and when you've been in this field for a while, you do see patterns, which is actually really helpful because then we could use that data to improve, which is beautiful. And I saw there was, a lot of tension between, which I have also seen in veterinary hospitals, and I have been part of that in the past, where there's a lot of tension created and narratives, which then led to lack of essentially job satisfaction and toxicity and all these things that we commonly see because everyone was really unsure. Once I got all the information, I saw that everyone was really unsure of what they should do. And then people, understandably, I understand where this came from was that isn't I'm not supposed to do that but then this person tells them it's very complicated and then there's no clear we all human and animal learners need clear criteria and I understand you can't write everything down Jen does not expect you to do that (laughs) but if there's so one of the first things I asked was management I was like is there a, a description of job roles and they just kind of looked at me dumbfounded and I was like the great thing is, this is a fairly easy thing we can start to implement and make a really big difference. So 100%. I love, because thinking about it, many, again, whether it's animal welfare or vet med, if there's not a clear description of the criteria of the role you need to do, it's really hard to be successful for veterinary assistants, CSRs, everyone. So I think that is a great recommendation as a way to start. And you can even sit down with the whole staff. And talk about, especially with veterinary staffs, I've wor- I have worked at hospitals with 30 or more people, but I also have worked at hospitals with legit five to 10 of us. And how beautiful the type of culture you're creating, not the toxic positivity that's being sold that we're family crap, the actual doing the work and talking to people about what do you feel? And then also it helps to identify what registered veterinary technicians can do versus what veterinary assistance can do, which decreases the pressure. We're all aware. It's just, thank you so Preach. much for bringing that up. Preach. I know. We're just, I, I could say, I could seriously, could do, I could talk about this for days. And you kind of already touched on some of the common misconceptions or barriers that protect practices from fully utilizing their vet techs, which I agree. I think a big part of it is exactly what you said, lack of education. So not maliciousness, just They don't even know because some of the larger organizations, thankfully it's improving, but real talk have not even addressed that. Like our own colleagues don't even address registered veterinary technicians. So I can understand how not being aware of our skill set or what we can do is part of it. But then also, I love that you address the fear aspect too, or thinking that we're there to take over for I don't even know well and I, I I've heard a lot of that that yeah. you know some veterinarians and I you know I, I love my veterinarians right I, oh, I, of worked, course. I, I worked in veterinary teaching hospitals teaching veterinarians I absolutely love empowering students veterinarians veterinary technicians um but for a veterinarian to feel threatened that by having a well-experienced credentialed veterinary technician that can do certain technical skills that maybe they can't, you know, having them feel 
threatened from that is something we have to figure out how to change, right? We yeah. can't just say you shouldn't feel threatened. Right. We are going to have to feed, we're going to have to figure out how to get them to not feel threatened. Um, and that sounds like such a basic, like, oh, well, we should, you know, that is going to have to be what's at the core root of this education that we give them is how do we give them confidence in us? Because historically they know there has been no standardized training, right? right. So in their mind, they're protecting their patients. And I think at the end of the day, they are truly, they think they are doing what is right. So we have to convince them and teach them that what they think they've been doing right this whole time has actually been hurting us. And changing that entire perception is is going to be um, a, a job, but it's literally going to take all of us. Every single one of us doing the same thing, kind of coming together to change those those talks and those perceptions, I think is the only way that we're going to continue to see the, the spark of change that we've created. Yeah, I, I love that too. I think, again, we can't, just like I can't simply tell an animal or a human, stop being stressed. Uh, it's very complex. I wish um, it worked that way. I know. I'm like, I would have that trade. I always tell my clients, I joke, I'm like, I would have that trademarked and be in Hawaii right now. I would not be here. Not that I don't love you and your animal. But I do love that because I think instead of just saying, don't feel threatened, this is ridiculous. That's not super productive communication. And although it can be challenging, I think it's all about I need to address where that fear is coming from, the whys, and then work towards. It's similar. I worked with one veterinarian who was amazing. And I will never, because we learn a lot as we go too. And I remember she was, I was, this was a long time ago. I always, I share my experiences so everyone can learn from them. But she was uncomfortable with a really common, commonly used drug. For sedation. And I have always been the lovely tech that loves the fearful patients, especially the fear aggressive ones. So I'll be honest with you. When she told me that, I was taken aback and kind of frustrated. This was a while ago and upset. And then I thankfully I didn't respond right away because back then it, I, I still knew that that is not productive communication and that I should reflect if I'm feeling a a strong feeling first and then it's hard collect, to do sometimes collect my thoughts and come back so I did and I remember being like oh what are, are and I started asking more open-ended questions like what makes you uncomfortable about the drug have you had some negative experiences within the past so getting more information and then I realized she graduated a while ago and the year sh- the around the time she graduated it was drilled into her at that, again, that time in vet school, which was a while ago, that this drug is dangerous. Mm-hmm. And that's what she remembered. And it made me, I immediately like softened and felt kind of horrible of the initial thoughts. I didn't share those thoughts that I thought. And then I'm very comfortable with that drug because before I worked at that clinic, I, I was the fear, you know, I use that drug a lot. Yeah. Um. So I was like, I understand where you're coming from. And we talked through it. And I was like, base, I have a lot of experience with this. And I said, how about we utilize this drug in this context? Let's have the other vet along who is that works there along to be available just to make you more comfortable because it and I address like it is scary using new things. And you have a vet tech who is use this drug every other day. Right. Very. And she used it. Yeah. And it went well. 
and she felt more comfortable. But I could have handled that very differently. Perception is reality, yeah. right? Um, and so I, I think education, it all comes back to education and teaching to get to get through all the nonsense. All the nonsense. <laughs> we have to be kind to each other, even though I know sometimes I may sound like I'm being a little hard. But as Stephen Sattel, who we both love, we're all about making change and being in the middle. But also sometimes we have to be a little more abrupt and advocate for ourselves because it's just the fact of the manner. But again, that was just one example of now that Jen brought it up where I was like, I met her where she was at. I tried to understand the function of where her, because if she has fear or stress, that's very real. And it's not my place to say that should not exist. That is fudged up for me to even feel that way. And once I met her in the middle, I was like, oh, it's the same thing with pain medications and cats. A lot of us don't because there's minimal resources and less we're getting more, which is great. But a lot of us don't feel comfortable. Like a lot of veterinarians don't feel comfortable using a drug that's new or again, totally makes sense. So we are there to support each other. Just like vets have been there for me when I'm trying something new as a mentor and supported me through it. And I'm better for it. They're better for it. It's just beautiful. It is beautiful <laughs> when that does happen. We're not calling it family because it's a job. Um, which can you just, so me and Jen were just chatting before the podcast and (laughs) I, we all are all, we're all triggered a little bit by that. We're family stuff. And Jen, you shared some great feedback regarding that statement. And then I did, and I would love to kind of unpack that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a fun thing to unpack. And honestly, I think it actually goes to what can you do in veterinary technology, right? I mean, I have been really lucky to have amazing dream jobs in my life, to be at an academic facility, to teach veterinary students for over a decade, well over a decade, um, to then go on to a position as as a director um, in, in an executive branch of a, of a very productive company. So I've had these really amazing opportunities. Um, but at the end of the day, it's really nice to remember that, that I am who I am regardless of those, those positions, right? That a job is a job. Um, and that as a veterinary technician, that skill is me, right? Um, the same thing with you, the skill, the knowledge, the expertise, it's you. So where you go, that knowledge, that expertise, um, that skill, that empathy, uh, that education, that goes with us. And I think that's so important for veterinary technicians to remember that we are the product, right? Yes. And regardless yes. of whether that's on the floor, whether that's in an education role, whether that's in a consulting role, that value that has been created comes and goes with you. So putting everything into a job um, that's you're not leaving anything behind because that's that's going with you. So I'm I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see what happens next. I love no? it. And and I think that family language oh, it's so toxic. can be dangerous for but, but- and but again, I think people think they're doing the right thing, right? No, it's I coming, agree. I agree. They, they yeah. think that it's they coming feel like from a, it's a welcoming vibe yeah, when yeah. actually, like no. my partner doesn't work in vet med and has never worked in vet med. And I remember I was with him majority of the time when I was working in GP and and still am. And I remember things happening. And when you're only around, which I've talked about this, but I 
most of my friends are animal professionals. I get it. But when you're not getting outside perspective, it can be really challenging. And he would be like, something would happen. And that family mentality is being drilled into my head. Like, how dare you? Like, you have to come in on your day off because we're going to emotionally manipulate you. And and all of these not again, they don't I don't think I I used to like give people shit for taking their vacation. I feel horrible that I was that person. I did, too. But it was like this culture we create. And my partner's like, it's a job. Yep. Like, if you get a better opportunity, it's not personal. It's just duh. Like, but he doesn't work in in vet med where I think so many of us have stayed at jobs longer than we were comfortable Mm -hmm. at, even though we express our concerns. Or again, like he mentioned, this isn't about me injuring the staff. I love all of you. I, I still do. Like, we care about each other. And that's okay. But we're not all best friends. And, and my, my boundaries don't equate to your discomfort. Exactly. If I have a better opportunity that leads to my goal, or if I I have something I want to pursue, like let's say a VTS, not all hospitals want to or can support that. And I respect that. It's totally okay. So I may go to a different place based on that. And that's not personal. But again, these are things that took me a very long time to understand. Or like you said, we identify as vet techs. Hell yes, I do. It is in my little Instagram personal profile. Like that's who we are. So I, but sometimes I think, because I remember leaving general practice and now I'm like in a different place, but I really struggled because I'm like, am I still a vet tech? And I really associated it with that practice. And that's the, that's what we mean by the the damage of that family wording. Even though I think people are many of many people who are utilizing it, or I think their their perspective is we want to be welcoming and make people feel like, yeah, I guess welcoming because when it comes to time off and things, those things aren't considered. And and if I'm asked about time off or CE allowance. I can some I've been punished for mm-hmm. asking those types of questions, which again, mm-hmm. in a normal job, that's a normal outside of vet med, that is a very normal thing. That is not an offensive question. Mm-hmm. Well, and we know that sometimes the most difficult people to set boundaries with are family members, right? Oh, like that's that just a really good point. Yeah. Traditionally. So you you we want to treat you like a family, but yet historically and especially in my brain, some of those have been the most difficult boundaries to set in my personal life. And now you want me to equate that with my professional life. It's just so unhealthy, so unhealthy. Uh, But I, but I get, I get where they're coming from. from, Yes. But but again, it's all about changing the perception, changing the conversation and doing it in a kind, empathetic place um, for, for growth um, and not from, from judgment or accusation, but support and love, always support and love. And that's where I think I, I was literally just talking. I had a conference this weekend that I threw called the Big Meow. Check it yeah. out; it'll be around next year. Um, but that's we great, were, though. I love that. We were talking about so I had a panel about difficult discussions um, because that's a common thing in vet men and animal welfare. And I think my definition, so especially as a behavior person, I really look at language and the definitions. My definition of conflict is very different than others. I think conflict's awesome. It's a catalyst for change. It's, 100%. So me going into, because I've been in GPs where I've gone to talk to man, because I have very clear criteria. And I personally had 
lots of professional goals and we're all different, but I knew what they were. Mm -hmm. So I was very clear with that. And then when I was very clear with my criteria and the other person reciprocated that, and then after four or five months, it was not, the do part was not happening. I would go in and again, this isn't about personal ego. None. It's just, hey, we talked about this happening. This hasn't happened. Let's go back to why this isn't happening. And if this doesn't happen, I was really clear with what I needed. And you shared that you that was completely appropriate. And since it's not happening, I'm going to have to leave. Yep. And that's a very appropriate, non-threatening conversation. But there have been times where that I was then felt to be it wasn't taken that way. And then yeah. I left feeling like shit and less than. And I was like, how did that happen? What? Yeah. And after the fact, like once I'm home and reflected for a few hours, I'm like, how did what? What happened mm-hmm. there? Mm-hmm. You know, and then the the woman in me then goes, well, and what part of that was because I'm a woman? Right. And then, you know, like there's so many layers to that. There's so, you know, like, ah, you could certainly certainly go down the, the rabbit hole in that one. So I know we talked about a lot of things, but what's one takeaway that you'd like the audience to have regarding the potential benefits of proper utilization of credentialed vet techs? Oh, my the commitment needed to make this change. I, so I think that depends on who I'm talking to. Facts. What my demographic is here. But for my caregivers, my pet parents, when you go inside your veterinary practices, ask who is taking care of your babies. Ask what credentialed staff members are on staff or you know, ask the questions. Right. You have every right to know. Um, and sometimes you may actually get an answer that somebody doesn't know. Right. Maybe there's a customer service representative who's not aware of what the credentialed staff members are in their practice. So that's going to spark a conversation that then is going to educate someone. So never be afraid to ask who is taking care of my pets? What are the credentialed staff members um, within your practice? Practice owners, veterinarians, we need you. We need you. We don't want you to feel threatened. We want to support you. We want to make this profession amazing. We want to take better care of our patients, but we need our veterinarians to stand up, to do this, to be open to the education, learn what we can do, learn the four things that we can't do um, and let us do everything else. I love that. I'm totally taking that from you because it's just an easy way to word it. And I I never would have thought to do that. And then lastly, because it's this podcast will be coming out a few days before, but for veterinary technician week, again, we celebrate them every day, but we all have our experiences. And I think I love asking other veterinary technicians, just like I should find what's as a trainer or teacher, I need to find what's motivating to that learner. And to be fair, what's reinforcing to me may be different than what's reinforcing to you, Jen, but there are some general things that we can all agree on. So as far as some recommendations, whether you are a caregiver or a practice owner or a badass colleague veterinarian, what recommendations do you have to celebrate technicians during Vet Tech Week? Ask them a question, right? Or tell somebody else about them, I right? I think that. that's, I mean, gifts are fantastic, right? Getting the thank yous are fantastic. We all want that. We all need that. But how can you truly, truly benefit a veterinary technician through Veterinary Technician Week? Tell someone else who we are. Tell them what a credential veterinary technician is, what we can do in practice, and and 
spread that fire, spread that gift, the gift of education. So start there by just telling one or two more people that you come in contact with tomorrow that you learned what a credentialed veterinary technician is and and what we can do. And I think I love when I see on social media, whether it's a shelter or a veterinary clinic where they do kind of an employee spotlight and discuss what that veterinary technician does, they will share some of their hobbies outside of work because that's very healthy and we should be promoting that as well. But essentially highlighting your veterinary technicians, I, and again, like you said, helping educate Mm -hmm. what we are. And I, again, we do love a gift, but in that context, I think asking what the staff wants is helpful versus you meaning well, and then all of us not really digging said thing. And then we feel kind of more hurt from a veterinary technician standpoint than we would have if we didn't receive a gift at all, if that makes sense. Right. Well, a gift a lot of times is something that where someone knows you, know knows what you need, what you want, right? Um, or what's important to you. And so if you are a hospital that's working on a health craze and somebody brings in three dozen donuts <laughs> or four pizzas, right? That's not supporting. Or if the, you're vegan and or if you're food vegan, has no, we one, all can relate to this. 100%. And there's no vegan food, which is like, very common. And that it and there are so many vegans, pescatarians, vegetarians yes. in our profession that you I am so glad you said that. Sorry. Because, it's no. Well, and so I'm glad you said it because when I spent my time actually supporting sales and did, that was one of the things that I made sure that I asked was what are the diet restrictions? How can I make sure to accommodate everybody? So absolutely, pet parents, caregivers, just because you eat something doesn't mean everybody else does. So even though we love all the, I mean, I do love from a caregiver perspective, I think for a lot of veterinary professionals and we're only speaking for ourselves, but. Verbal praise and validation is very reinforcing to a lot of us because many of us are carer, not that we're not all carers, but people in caregiving positions tend to be people pleasers, empaths. Yeah, they we just so a card just telling us about your experience with us and how it was great. I literally have a box on the days I'm having in pot, which I recommend for all of you, but on the days I have imposter syndrome or feel like shit because we all do. We don't feel good enough. It's just a normal thing. I literally have a box with all the thank you cards from clients that I've dealt with in the past or positive reviews. So when I feel like shit or like I'm not good enough, like so I as caregivers or colleagues, I sometimes I don't think we understand the power of just a genuine, kind, personal, not just a thank you, but a genuine, kind, personal message and how much they help me years later. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So. That's something I think is great. And then, of course, everything we've been talking about, right? Utilizing your technicians, professional development. So showing your commitment, having a CE allowance. I mean, we need CE. Another thing about credentialed veterinary technicians and veterinarians is we need CE, continuing education, a certain amount of hours to to renew our license. So it's not just you learn this one thing one time because... The fun thing about vet med is we're always improving. That's why we call yeah. it practicing vet med. <laughs> so if you don't do CE for sometimes even a year, you're kind of behind on the time. So yeah, we have to, it's not just that education, that schooling, that board exam, that experience, but it's also us continuing to grow and improve ourselves 
so we can take care of your animals in the best way possible. Or as a colleague, we can do our best to bring in feedback, bring in new items, because we all have different experiences and they're all valid. And that's the other thing. I think the amount of stuff we can learn from work, like talking (sighs) through a case at a vet, do that. I would have loved if we had a challenging case and we as a veterinary team, because the one clinic I worked at, I actually proposed this and we started doing it and it was so awesome. And we talked, we took 10 to 15 minutes to talk through the case. And I would ask, why wasn't this drug used versus not, how dare you not very different. Yeah. Um, and we would talk through it because there's so many correct ways to do the same thing. And then you're teaching your staff to be comfortable asking questions to not just go through the motions, which is very dangerous mm-hmm. to understand why they're giving what drug they're giving and to help each other improve. Like, Hey, I'm, s- I saw this side effects common, this cat. Cause I might've had as a technician, real talk. I probably had a lot more time to go through that pet's history. Mm-hmm. And at, uh, I was a surgical technician at a lot of vet clinics. I would do the recovery. So while the vet had to then go into another room because we're all doing so much and I could assess that animal's pain score and let that veterinary know so we can adequately provide more pain medication. Like, again, it's just we can all learn so much from each other. Mushy Absolutely. stuff, but real talk. Yeah. Yeah. What's the best veterinary technician recognition, whether it's from a caregiver, another colleague? I know that's heavy that oh. you have gotten. That's heavy because we all reinforce each other a lot, which is beautiful. But yeah. Um, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Um, professional, um, I did receive a, a, a nursing award back in 2008. That was pretty special. It was a hospital nursing award, oh, um, at one of the, at one of the teaching hospitals where I worked, which was pretty, My knowing idea. that, that, yeah, it was, that was nice. Um, from a client per se, um, everything from being involved in their pets, funeral p- processions to being, yeah, I mean, just beautiful um, being able to, and I'm going to get all teary thinking about it, but just I being know. able to be a part of the whole journey, yeah. um, which is very important. Um, I, I still have clients that, I mean, I've been out of full-time practice for eight and a half years and I still get Christmas cards, um, you know, or Hanukkah cards or, you know, um, I think it, I think it's just the connection, just that they allow me this person that they don't know to be a part of such a personal, uh, often life changing um, kind of journey. And I think that's the biggest gift. Well, I think, and that's why we all do this. We love animals. We love people. And yeah. being there for the caregiver during those challenging times, but also those happy times is a big part of what keeps us going. Cause there's rough stuff. I mean, obviously, but it's also rough for the caregiver. So What a beautiful answer. So the last thing I always like to ask, it's been a pleasure. We love veterinary technicians and we hope we gave you some tools to advocate for yourself as a vet tech. Or I know there's so many amazing caregivers and supporters of us that listen to this podcast. We love you and we appreciate it. Please keep it up. And then all you amazing practice owners and veterinarians maybe tuning in to better understand how you can help your veterinary technicians. Click, treat, verbal praise. Hopefully that's reinforcing. Um, But I always like to end with asking my guests, what is something that currently makes them happy? This could be your coffee. This could be a concert you recently went to. My chickens. How do I not know you 
had chickens. Oh my goodness. I love my chickens. What? Yeah. How many chickens do you have? So I have eight currently. You're sending yes. me photos immediately after this. Don't recording. you worry. <laughs> Don't you worry. You're about to get spammed. Yes. Um, but I, I do. I, this over this last year, I lost all three of my dogs um, oh, within I'm a year. Oh, so sorry. Jeez, yeah, it was a it was a rough year. Yeah. Um, I have my three cats. I'm surprised they haven't popped up. Oh, yeah. Um, but so the house, just having a different energy, I decided to embark on chickens over the last year. What and what kind of chickens do you have? So I oh really multiple w- oh all kinds of different breeds. I want all the different colors and shapes and sizes and varieties and I want to have a beautiful brightly colored basket of eggs and all different you know so yeah I have all different kinds but I have thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed having chickens um it, they've been they're hilarious uh they I never knew chickens um, are the I clicker train chickens a lot and they I worked at a lot of farm sanctuaries I'll help you Jen oh well, I mean yeah, we're gonna that. no we're gonna clicker train the chickens uh they are just they're really good from a tea I mean it's from a training standpoint, it's just like it's good to teach lots of different types of people, lots of different species and animals. It makes you a better trainer. And as someone I work at, I worked at a lot of farm sanctuaries. So thankfully, unfortunately, I don't have chickens, but I recognize how amazing they were before I started training them. You can, they're just their movements. Like you said, they're so beautiful and amazing. And I can't, I learned all the breeds a very long time ago, which, hey, everyone in tech school, I mm-hmm. I had to learn not just small animal, but I learned multiple those cows and yes, all the cows. And I'm vegan and I love animals and I was vegan back then, but oh my gosh, it was overwhelming to learn about all these species. It's not just cats and dogs. It's just like for vets. Like we have to learn a large amount in a short period of time and then continue learning, which I love. But when I think about tech school now, I'm like, how did I do that? I know. And work full time. Like, because all of Same. us, most of us had to work full time on top of that. Yeah. And I'm just like fucking mind blowing. But <laughs> send me photos of your chickens. I will. And then I'm going to totally share them when I share this, this episode. I will. I will get you, I will get you some good ones. They're, they're pretty great. I'll send, make sure that I attach their names as well. Oh yes, of course. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait to hear their names. Well, thank you so much for being you, being an amazing veterinary technician advocate, being an amazing advocate for every animal in your care and for just the field in general, and happy Veterinary Technician Week to all you amazing motherfuckers out there. Happy Vet Tech Week, everybody. What an awesome episode and conversation with Jen, talking about the importance of utilize, recognizing, but also utilizing veterinary technicians. Not only does it help us to stay in this field, empower us, and supports us, but also it helps to increase revenue, it, it enhances patient care, it decreases the workload off the veterinarian and other support staff. Oh, so many benefits to utilizing your veterinary technician. I wish all of you amazing veterinary technicians out there an amazing veterinary technician week, not just the week of October 15th, but every day. And let us know through social media and our email how would you like to be celebrated at your clinic? Or is there something that your clinic or as a practice manager you have done for your veterinary technicians that they have loved? We would love to hear about it. Have a wonderful day, everyone.